0: As we turn in our New Testament to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we find a group of Christians who say that they believe that Jesus died for them. They say they believe in the resurrection and the second coming of Christ. But on Saturday night, you can't tell any difference between the pagans in Corinth and the believers. Let's join our study leader, Dave Wordson, as he continues our discussion of what the Apostle Paul had to say to these believers who thought that idolatry and immorality was no big deal. They craved the old way of life. They also had a desire for idolatrous worship. Exodus chapter 32 says the people sat down to eat and to drink before the golden calf, and then they rose up to play. And the word that that it uses in the Bible was not playing in a playground. It will say Isaac was playing with his wife and Abimelech saw him and said she is not his sister. You ought to get the picture. There were lots of sexual overtones in this. What you're talking about is at the Golden Calf incident, the people had a great big banquet. They went out to eat together. The booze was flowing. Then they rose up and they danced very sensuously, very erotically, very immorally before the golden calf. Now the Bible talks about David dancing with all of his might before the Lord. It's holy. It is beautiful. It is a celebration. It talks about Miriam after the deliverance through the Red Sea getting all the women of Israel together. And they danced in celebration, probably thousands strong. It's probably one of the most unbelievable worship services you could have ever seen. And the people danced mightily before the Lord in praise of Him. But I want to tell you something. There's a difference between dancing for the glory of God and dancing in sensuous worship of immorality. When Moses came down off the mountain with the moral commands of God, the people were in an orgy. They were feasting, they were reveling, they were dancing immorally before the God of materialism. Paul gives another illustration. He talks about Numbers 25 where 24,000, 23,000 people died in one day, 24,000 people died in all. What happened there? At Baal Peor on the plains of Moab, Balak the king tried to get Balaam a prophet to curse the people and Balaam couldn't do it because he was under the power of God. So Balak said, well, what can I do? And Balaam says, you just get some knockout girls. Get some knockout Moabite, Arabian kind of girls. Get them to invite the children of Israel, to come and eat with them and to worship their God. To worship the God of Moab. And God will judge His people. And so on at Baal Peor, we have the children of Israel worshiping before a heathen idol again. They intermarried with the Moabites. There was rank immorality. And God judged it. God slew 23,000 people in one day. Now, I know that that's not a popular thing in the United States of America today because we have an idea. There's a big thing in our our culture that God never judges anyone. That God is a nice, sweet Santa Claus in the sky. That you can do anything you want and everything will be all right. And I want to share with you, don't presume upon the righteous holiness of God. I shouldn't do it. You should not do it. Now, God doesn't just zap people, and you can't make the judgment because someone's going through a time of trouble. They're under the judgment of God. But I want to tell you something. If you go and party and get involved in immorality, it's very possible you might not live very long. Very possible. And God might not do anything except just remove his protection and just let the reality of an evil world that we live in really take its hold on you. I was on a talk show with Gene Getz. A dear father called up. Eighteen-year-old son was going to the prom that night, and the father had just found out that the kids had rented rooms at the hotel and were going to stay all night long. And the father was asking the question, you know, what can I do? My son's received Christ as his Savior, and what can I do? And Gene Getz proceeded to read through a paper from earlier in the week where several high school students in the Dallas area had done exactly that, where booze was ordered, where they were going to shack up all night long, And mom and dad, you might say, oh, no, our sweet little kids would not do that. It's not just the sweet little kids that do that. It's the nice, sweet adults that are doing that. Terrible immorality. Drunkenness. We have just say no programs where kids will get up, just say no, and then Friday night they're drunk as a skunk. And everyone becomes very cynical. And I want to cry out in love to some of our... We have some high school students that are not that way. We have some high school students that are seeking to love the Lord. They're seeking to live a pure life. But they're very much in danger of becoming cynical and negative and saying it's all just a big farce. All these adults say, oh, I've lived morally, lived purely, but look what they do. My dad comes home from work... And he doesn't drink publicly, but, man, he just tanks it all down, and I see him every night just a little bit out of it because he took a whole six-pack down. It's not going to work, mom and dad. It's not going to work. the problem is not out there. The problem is right here within our church family. I'm not saying at all that everybody is immoral. I'm not saying that everybody is drunken. But because I love you I want to share with you You cannot presume upon the will and the morality of a righteous holy God. The children of Israel thought they could. The children of Israel were saying, well, we went through the Red Sea. We ate manna from heaven. We can watch anything we want to late at night. We can go on vacation. We can forget God on vacation. We can go and look at a lot of things that we know we wouldn't be pleased to have Jesus Christ with us. Now, don't do this to me. Don't say, oh, Dave, you're from a different background. Listen, I have spent hours talking with families. I have cried with you because your kids are not following the traditions of Christ and because things are going haywire, because marriages are breaking up, because it's not working. There's been immorality, rank immorality, right in our own church family. The biggest downer in the ministry to me It's people that have been here week after week after week. And I find out the most heinous things that have happened. And you're tempted to say, well, maybe the whole thing is a farce. But then I go back to the pages of God's Word, and I find out that the Old Testament people of Israel, the New Testament people of Corinth, were just like that. Now, I want to say, this isn't a place for judgment And I want you to know with all my heart that I'm not rejecting my love or taking it away from any one of you. But because I do love you, I'm going to tell you just the way it is. If you go out on Saturday night and worship the gods of materialism, if you go out and you lose control of your body, and you are sensuous, and you drink too much, and you do things that are immoral, eventually it's going to destroy your life you're going to be in the wilderness of spiritual disaster. I covet for children to go to adulthood and for me to be able to have premarital counseling and for me to be able to know for sure this guy and this girl are morally pure. And I know that 90% of the people out there don't think that there's anything wrong with it. I got a letter this past week from a dear youth director that was sharing how he'd been working with a new believer. And this girl was really beginning to grow in Christ. She was beginning to be a witness. But she fell in love with a guy And she got in the jaws of making these decisions. Should I go all the way? Should I have intercourse? And she was talking to her youth pastor, and he was sharing with her from Proverbs, drink water from your own cistern. Keep yourself only for the person that you're going to marry. He talked about all the reasons you should just say no until you make that covenant vow of marriage. The girl went to her mom. Good Bible-believing mom. Went to church every Sunday. You know what the mom said? Well, it depends. Do you love him? Do you really care about him? I'll tell you what, I'll go to the drugstore and I'll make sure that you're protected if you really love him. Now, what was that doing? And some of you sit there in horror, but that's the same kind of a pattern that you follow. And we're leaving our kids. We We are throwing our kids to the wilderness because of the inconsistency of our own moral lives as adults. Now I want to share with you from the depths of my heart, unless you believe in God's grace, then the one that yells the loudest for moral purity will be the one who's fooling around in secret more than anyone else. Do not believe the lie that there are not Godly, committed believers that by a marvelous gift of God's grace are living purely, are living morally, are living under the control of the Spirit of God because there are many. There are many that have not bowed the knee to Baal. There are many young people that I know have grown up as little children that have committed their life to Christ have come through high school, have come through college, have met a life partner, and they've been committed to the Savior. And they've been pure. I know others that have slipped and they've fallen, but by a marvelous miracle of God's grace, they repented and there was genuine repentance and they turned away from that time of rebellion. They turned away from that time of slippage and they've come back into that glorious forgiveness. And God's family is always a place of forgiveness for the repentant. But it's never a place of complacency for the presumptuous. Paul was brokenhearted over the Corinthians craving for the old life, for worshiping the golden calf, for immorality, for impatience with the leadership that God gave them, and eventually rebellion against the leadership that God gave them. Now, that's pretty negative. Pretty, pretty negative. But I want to tell you some very important things. I want to read to you probably the most famous verses in 1 Corinthians, and usually they're out of context. So now you've got them in context. The blessings of Israel, the blessings of the New Testament people, the cursings that came because of disobedience. But look at this in verse 11. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us in whom the fulfillment of the ages have come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful not to fall. The last thing I want to communicate to you as we close this section, if you think you're okay, you think you're not in danger, watch out. As we close this service, every one of us need to pray for one another. We're all vulnerable. We're all just people. That's what protects us from self-righteousness. It's what protects us from coming down against this particular sin, but not being sensitive at all to this beam that's in our eye over here. So Paul says to every one of us, if you think you're standing, take heed, lest you fall. Then he goes on and says this, There's no temptation that has seized you, but what is common to man. Now, Mom and Dad, I've heard this over and over again. It's just different. How many of you have ever said, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you have ever said it's just different these days? Baloney. It's not different. I think it's more intense, but it's not different. You say, man alive, methylamphetamines, all that kind of stuff. It's really different. Not really in kind. They've been taking drugs for, as I can show you in ancient Egypt, ancient Mesopotamia, I can show you in the ancient Indian cultures, the American Indian cultures, they've been taking drugs from time immortal. Read Genesis chapter 9 and you have Noah drunk as a skunk with a drug alcohol. It's not very new. So mom and dad, you know, you want to take comfort in that. It's not unique. And I want to warn you against the danger of saying, my temptation is unique. Some of you are sitting there going, my temptation is different. That's why I can't resist, because I am totally unique, and what Satan is doing in my life is totally unique. Now, you are unique. You're one of a kind. You're precious in God's sight. That's God's sight. Satan is not creative. Satan is boring, cunning, intelligent, but boring. You go to Las Vegas and look at a naked showgirl. I can show you naked showgirls on ancient Egyptian palace walls. Same uniform, same everything. Nothing new under the sun. I'm serious. I mean, it's right there in archaeological, right there on the wall. Satan's not very creative. So you can't use the excuse, this is unique. This is unique temptation. It's unique to our age. The Lord says, no, it isn't. I won't let you be tested, but such is common to man. We're all in this together. We're going to face the same old kind of temptations again and again and again. But the next statement there's no temptation taking you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful. Mom and dad, are you hurt? Are you discouraged? Are you scared for your kids? I am. But God is faithful. I just listened to a tape from a very dear pastor out in San Diego, California. He stood before his congregation. He told this story. of how He went to the hospital for a typical day at work. His youth pastor called him up and said, Pastor, I need you to come and talk. I need to talk to you. And he could tell from the sound of his voice that it, that it it was serious. Is he hurt? You know, is, is my daughter hurt? Is something wrong? She says, he said something really is wrong, but she's not hurt. But get here as soon as you can. And that dear pastor got as quick as he could to the church, and he walked in the church office, and one of his associate pastors looked at him and said, Pastor, your daughter was just thrown out of the Christian schools where she's attending because she and several other students were taking cocaine. And that dear pastor shared, and I just bawled as I heard it, because I know what that would feel like. He just shared all the hurt, all the rejection, all the fear. He talked about the interaction with his wife and how they went from anger to frustration to how could this have ever happened. But he talked about how they worked through that problem. Good families can have trouble with their kids because all of our kids are unique and none of us in our families are always consistently good, are we? And that's why we need grace. You see, the idea in God's family is not that we don't have problems if we're really living close to the Lord. But if we're really living close to the Lord, we're able to work through our problems because God is faithful and that past went on to tell how they began to work with their daughter they began to appeal to her they had to make some very hard choices involving even sending her away from home to get her into a totally controlled environment where she could work very very hard on breaking the grip of that terrible terrible seizure that comes upon you when drugs grab a hold of your life but my dad was able to report that that girl was doing gloriously well And it's turned completely away from that lifestyle. You know why? Because God is faithful. And He will not allow us to be suffered beyond that we're able, but with the temptation He'll give away to escape. Young people, you're going to be at a party. The Scripture doesn't tell you not to go to parties. You could be at a home and parents think it's all supervised. You go into the back room and the booze comes out and you're going to be tempted all the group pressure is go ahead nothing wrong everything's fine it's against the law it's against the law to drink as a minor it's against the law to sell to a minor so irrespective of the debate over whether or not one drop of alcohol is wrong or right drunkenness is always wrong and drinking as a young person under age is totally against the law of the land and against the law of God. What are you going to do in that moment of temptation? You know what God says? There's a way to escape. And I'm praying for some young people that will get up, will get on the phone and say, Mom and Dad, I need you to come and get me. And you'll take all the ridicule and all the abuse, but you'll escape. When you go to college, it's very possible, and it's second university, your roommate, you'll come into the room, And your roommate will be shacking up with somebody else. And a lot of your girlfriends right down the hall will be doing exactly the same thing. And the whole culture will be saying, that's just the way you do it. It's just the way it is. It was just like that among the Canaanites. It was. But you can be a believer that says, God is faithful. There's a way to escape. I don't have to buy that lifestyle. I don't have to participate. And you can live morally pure. In your office, mom and dad, in your office when you're tempted, it's a big bang party. And everybody's around. And everybody's drinking. So it's the end thing to do. And the jokes are a little bit dirty. And you say, well, man, I wanted to fit in. My whole job's going to be at risk. Your job isn't at risk. Your life is at risk. You slip a little bit. I've seen so many of you act against your conscience. You act against what you know is right. God says, hey, I'm faithful. I'll make a way to escape. And I am praying that across our town, across our whole area, we'll have some believers that stand against the flood and say we can conquer temptation and we can live purely, not in a self-righteous way, but in a Christ-honoring way. God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond your able, but He will with the temptation open the Red Sea for you and enable you to escape from it. You don't have to sin. There's hope. Let's pray. Father, there were two dear fellas that stood against the entire adult generation of their day, Joshua and Caleb. Caleb. They didn't worship the golden calf. They did not get involved in immorality with the girls of Moab. They did not rebel against Moses when all the people were challenging his leadership. Most of all, they did not doubt your ability to take them into the promised land. Two Israelite fellows stand up through the ages of time and say there's a way to escape. You don't have to fall to temptation. I pray, Lord, that you would raise up not just two, but a host of Joshua and Caleb's that will stand against even fellow believers that are slipshod on their commitments to Christ and not really living ethical lives. I pray that you would raise up some Joshua and Caleb's who will depend upon your grace, who will rely upon the power of the Lord Jesus to deliver them from temptation. And, oh, Heavenly Father, I would pray that the witness of your church would shine brighter because of the ethical, moral lifestyles that you create through your power, not through our own self-effort, but through your power in the lives of your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.